Well, we are on our third carol of our series. We've been kind of trying to parallel Advent a little bit, and I hope all of you are, have, have decided on a particular Advent fast that will help you focus on the meaning of this season. Advent is really about preparation for Christmas, not just feasting and parties and present buying and horrible traffic and all that. It's about getting our hearts ready for Christmas when we feast then on that day. And so we've lit the candle of, anybody remember what the first one's called? Hope, then peace, and then, of course, joy. So we did uh, Joy to the World, is our carol, as you probably figured out, because we started singing it. Pop singer Madonna was asked, are you a happy person? And she replied, I am a tormented person. I have a lot of demons I am wrestling with, but I want to be happy. I have moments of happiness. I am working toward knowing myself, and I'm assuming that will bring me happiness. (laughs) She's not the only one, is she? People are searching for happiness. They have money, they have possessions, all kinds of entertainment, levels of education, but they're still not happy. And the Bible speaks more about joy than it does about happiness. And so happiness depends, as you probably already know, on circumstances. If things are going well, I'm happy. When things are not going so well, then I'm not so happy. But joy is that, that inner sense of, 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 well, not just peace, but, but a joy in the Lord, no matter what the circumstances. Joy comes from deep inside. And so it's not dependent. It's that well-being in any circumstances. Nehemiah 8.10 says, Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So we know that joy is, that inner sense comes from somewhere outside of us, and it's the Lord. It isn't circumstances. It isn't what's going on in our life. It's that we know that Jesus is inside of our heart if we've asked him in. And of course, this time of year, we especially think about joys. We hear all kinds of carols and happy songs and all of that. So the question then is what's happened to the joy of Christmas? It seems in short supply as the season drags on and people get more stressed. In fact, one Barnapole asked people, what's the most important part of Christmas? Barely over one-third said the birth of Jesus Christ. 37% in this poll said the most important thing about Christmas is the birth of Jesus Christ. 44% named being with family as the most important part of Christmas. And then, um, believe it or not, only 3% of adults said that presents or parties were the most important. And then there were a few, they were probably nurses, who said a paid holiday, a day off, was the most important thing. But imagine, if you start stacking all these things up, that, that the birth of Jesus, the whole point of it, barely made it to a third of the people. So no wonder joy is in such short supply. Well, there was a young teenager who once complained to his father that most of the hymns that they sang in church were boring, behind the times, had dull tunes and meaningless words. So his father says, well, if you think you can do better, why don't you go write one? So he did. 
A man, a young man named Isaac Watts in, in 1690 wrote his first hymn, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. Bet you thought I was talking about a teenager today. <laughs> Lest we think that the teenagers of today are any different than the teenagers from before, here's Isaac Watts motivated to write hymns. And he wrote a lot of hymns, one of the most prolific hymn writers. So in the year 1719, he would go on and he would write Joy to the World. Now, do your math. So we are celebrating the 300th anniversary of Joy to the World. Now, a few people have challenged and said, well, you know, it's a great song, but it's not a Christmas carol because it never talks about Jesus' birth specifically. Of course, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel didn't either. But they said technically it wouldn't be a carol and Joy to the World is really about the second coming of Christ. But, you know, I think it, it could touch on the first coming of Christ. And it's such a common Christmas song that it was hard to ignore it as not a carol. So I like it being a carol. I don't know about you. But Isaac Watts wrote this. And so now for hundreds of years, carolers have cast these words to a weary world like a lifeline into the ocean of humanity to sing this thing that when people hear it, they recognize it even if they never go to church, they know joy to the world. The thrill of hope, a weary world. There's something divine, something joyful, something special about this carol, isn't there? So let's look at where it came from because Isaac Watts, wrote it a lot out of Psalm 98. It's adapted from some of the concepts in there. This rejoicing at Christ coming into the world, we can apply this. But Isaac Watts began with with Psalm 98. It says in Psalm 98, verse 1, Sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him or for her. The Lord has made his salvation known and revealed his righteousness to the nations. He has remembered his love and his faithfulness to Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. And so we have joy because we see God's holy arm as work salvation for each of us. So from that inspiration of this new song of the joy, the marvelous things, Isaac Watts wrote, Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. And heaven and nature sing, and heaven and nature sing, and heaven and heaven and nature sing. So if you look at the theme of that first stanza, it's about the joy when Jesus is king. This is really what he's writing about. And he's going to have four verses that are each going to touch on, on Jesus as king, and then his reign, and then he restores, and then he rules. But did we start with he's king? An Asian man objected, well, the Bible does not mention Asia. It doesn't mention Asians. Why would I want to worship Jesus the Jew from the Middle East when there's nothing about my part of the world? But look at what Isaac Watts wrote. He didn't just say for Israel. He says, let earth receive her king, not just Israel. So the joy of Jesus is for all races. It's for all people, all tribes, 
which if you're in Africa, having been in Africa, when you say something's for a nation, you got to tell them it's for their tribe because it's so tribal. There's not a people group anywhere in the world that this doesn't apply to. So when we say, well, it's not just joy to Israel, how about joy to the world or joy to the Western world who are the primary folks over the last hundred years? I can't look at them. I'm going to start laughing. (laughs) Sorry, Adam was doing something funny. though. I I won't. (laughs) Poor Marianne. (laughs) He's pulling all your hair out, but it's okay. Anyway, um, so I got distracted there. Could you tell? (laughs) The joy to the world isn't just the American world, not just the European world. It's the whole world for any person. And yet we often think that, you know, well, it's really more for us than it, because so many people in Africa or Asia don't believe in Jesus. But this hymn, this carol is for everyone. Any human being can receive Jesus as their king. So he also says, that is Isaac Watts, let every heart prepare him room. Now think of that, a heart preparing room. What is that talking about? Because when you look at any other religion in the world, all the major religions and all the cults, no one talks about God coming to earth, becoming a human being, and then dying on our behalf, and then living inside of our heart. This is like a unique idea, plus who would ever think that an infinite God or even a really, really big God, could live inside of a human heart. How, you know, how could that happen? So nobody could have dreamed that up. But that's what we believe, because it's in the Bible. So some places believe God is only in this temple, or God is an impersonal force, as we've talked about before. But only Christianity speaks about God coming down, dying on our behalf, where we don't work our way to him, and we live with him in our heart if we've asked Jesus to live there. And so it's a unique idea. And so again, a hymn writer is teaching truth through music. And so he further goes on and he says, heaven and nature sing. So we have two other groups that's added on. So the joy isn't just us singing that Jesus is born. The angels sang, we said last week. And it says nature sings, which is a large part of why some of those theologians say this is a second coming song, not a first coming, because nature isn't going to sing until the end. And that's true. But a lot of the carols look both at the first and second coming. So we have nature is out there singing. And Jesus, remember what he said in the triumphal entry? If these people here aren't proclaiming uh, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the rocks would have to cry out. You hear that that tie-in with nature. Even nature in its way recognizes God. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that in a minute. So one day when, when Jesus does come again, nature will rejoice. So let me ask you this morning, what part of Christmas gives you the most joy? Do you feel that joy when you think of, if you were in that survey, what's the most important part of Christmas? And we probably, church people, we'd say Jesus, but is that how we look at the season? When it's not Sunday? When we're away from this? When we're dealing with all the pressures and all the things to do? But joy is when Jesus is king, and that's what we remember. So how do you experience God's joy? How does that come to you? 
Psalm 98 verse 4 goes on and tells us more about this humans and nature worshiping together. We can see where Isaac Watts got his inspiration, especially in these verses. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Burst into jubilant song with music. Make music to the Lord with the harp, with the harp and the sound of singing, with trumpets and the blast of the ram's horn. Shout for joy before the Lord, the King. Let the sea resound and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing together for joy. Let them sing before the Lord. You get a pretty clear picture. Nature is involved in this. And Isaac Watts loved that idea about nature worshiping God with us. So verse 2, stanza 2 of Joy to the World. The Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ, while fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains repeat the sounding joy. Repeat the sounding joy. Repeat, repeat the sounding joy. So this stanza teaches about Jesus is joy is when Jesus reigns. Joy is when Jesus is king, and now it's when he reigns by Verse 2, stanza 2 of Joy to the World. So Isaac Watts, like I said, loved to use the images of nature in these first three verses of this carol. Psalm 19, verse 1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. So what we hear is that we see God all around us. We don't worship nature, but we look at nature to see what it can tell us about who God is. Do you ever walk out into the woods, even on a great snowy day, when it's newly white and fresh and the snow is still up on the trees because the wind hasn't blown it off. And there's just something magical about that. There's this purity that you only see when snow covers something and it's just a unique experience. It's one of my favorite times to go up and cross-country ski is right after a snowstorm. Or go out in a, in a snow when the snow's fresh and it's a full moon and the silver light of the moon. And you see all these things that bring something different, something unique into your heart, at least into my heart. That's God. That's nature singing and proclaiming who God is, the purity, the beauty, the majesty of God. And it's a unique experience when you really look around you and see what nature's trying to proclaim about who God is. And so joy is when Jesus reigns nature sings and the true expression of christianity is not a sigh it's a song it's it's the songs that we sing about the joy of the lord but people miss that joy you know if you're are fasting for advent uh, one person said you know i just get so hungry and all i can think about is being hungry it's hard to think about god but you know, sometimes you just keep going and pushing because when I have chosen to skip one meal a day, and so usually it's lunch. And so, you know, about lunchtime when the stomach's used to receiving something, and then you feel this empty gnawing, and I try to sit and think, this for me not only is a discipline, but it's a reminder that the emptiness of our souls without God, which is what Advent was to look at our soul. What are we yearning for? What are we longing for? 
And so when we don't eat and we feel that emptiness, it reminds us that our body needs to be full. Spiritually, if you don't spend time feeding yourself, not just coming here on Sunday morning, but you spend time in the word letting God speak to you, you're going to have a hungry soul. And you know what you're like when you're really hungry? People get really grumpy when they're really hungry, don't they? And our soul gets kind of restless too. We, we get kind of, you know, feeling out of sorts and stuff that might bother, not bother us when we're really prayed up, so to speak, or have spent time letting God feed us. Now it bugs us. You ever wake up some of those mornings and you just feel grumpy? I don't know if it's what we dreamed or Danny never feel grumpy when you wake up. Show, tell me how you can do, how I can do that. Because some mornings I wake up and it's like, oh, there's this and this and this to do and this and this and this and all these things are going wrong. I'm going to turn on the news. It's going to depress me. And so what do we do with a hungry soul? When we don't fill up our soul, then it's going to be hard to be spiritually really alert and active and feeling the joy of the Lord. Your spirit craves relationship with God when it's famished. And there's a difference between knowing about Jesus And knowing Jesus, isn't there? Do you know that difference in your life? You know a lot about him. Maybe you've grown up in church your whole life. But do you really know what it means to have that kind of a relationship where he's filling up your soul and you can sense joy even when things are not going well? In Jesus' time, many folks followed him around. Many knew stuff about him. But one of the key passages, I think, in the New Testament is in in John chapter 6, right toward the end of that very long chapter. When they followed him around the countryside, they loved his miracles or his teachings. But the question is, did they really love him reigning in their life? So here's what John 6, 57 and through 66, we'll skip a little bit of the text, but here's the basic idea, 57. The one who feeds on me, Jesus says, will live because of me. Verse 60, on hearing on hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Now, not just the people following him casually, but his disciples, meaning his followers, his learners, which is what disciple literally means. They're learning about him. And they go, man, this is hard. How can you accept it? Jesus said to them, verse 63, the spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the spirit and life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. And then verse 66, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Jesus was asking for total commitment. You want to know where your source of joy is? It's in God. It's in Jesus Christ. If you're missing Christmas joy or joy any other time of the year for that matter, then look to feeding your soul and finding that joy in him instead of what's going on or not going on around you, your circumstances or your people. But our problem is that we kind of take our life and we put it in compartments. You ever do this? This is your church compartment, right? You, you come at 9.30 or 10.30, and, and now you'll have an hour, hour and 15 minutes, 
and we will experience our spiritual compartment. And maybe the rest of the day, it might be a little more low-key. But boy, tomorrow you got to hit the ground running. That's not your church, your spirit part. That's your secular life. That's your work life. Or that's your leisure life if you go uh, and, and engage in an activity. And so, you know, what happens in that life may not reflect what happens in the Sunday spirit compartment, right? You ever see people do that? Do you ever do that? You put your life in compartments. And so, you know, Jesus is the God of my church and the Lord of my church, but he doesn't really reign over my business ethics or my leisure life or my tongue or my thought life. And so I live two different lives and it saps the joy out of my life. So does Jesus reign in your life, or are you holding back compartments that you haven't let him in very fully or even at all? Joy is when Jesus reigns. It's when he reigns through our heart in every part. Even when we slip and fall and fail and say, I'm struggling, and how come I can keep going to God and asking for help and I, do, I fail? But we just keep going because that's part of the journey. So joy is when Jesus reigns. And now stanza three of joy to the world. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow. Far as the curse is found, far as the curse is found, far far as, far as the curse is found. So joy, number three stanza, is about when Jesus restores he restores away from that curse. So what curse did Isaac Watts have in mind? Well, the first man, Adam, disobeyed God's reign, and there was a consequence, wasn't there? Genesis three, seventeen and 18. To Adam, God said, Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. So you see the... the far as the curse is found that Isaac Watts picked out of Genesis 3. See, sin promises happiness, but ultimately it delivers a bitter curse, as Adam found, a painful sorrow. But there was a second Adam that came in the New Testament. Jesus came to restore humans, to heal that curse through not just us, but also for nature. So Romans 18, 19, and 23, it pulls out of Genesis chapter 3, which, by the way, Jesus can't say these words and give you this concept in Romans 8 if Adam was just a a mythical character or representative but not a real human being that once lived. Adam has to be a real person to commit real sin so that when it transfers to us, Jesus can come and give real restoration. So let's read Romans 8, 19. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subject to frustration. And in hope, verse 21, that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. So Jesus comes, and he is the second Adam because he brings life. The first Adam brought death. The second Adam brings life and restoration 
away from that curse. There was a believer in Zimbabwe, which is an African country in far South Africa. Used to be Rhodesia a long time ago, at least part of it. And he wanted, this, this believer in Zimbabwe wanted to give a, a, another African man a New Testament. And uh, so he gave him a small, wanted to give him a small little copy. And this guy was really resistant. He said to him, you give that little, you know, New Testament to me and I'm just going to rip the pages out and I'm going to make cigarettes from them and I'm going to smoke them. And so the believer said, well, I'm going to give you the Bible anyway, but I'm going to ask you to do one thing. Before you rip out the page and roll it up into a cigarette, will you read it? And he agreed. He said, I'll do it. And so away they went. They didn't see each other for a long time, went their separate ways. Fifteen years later, the two men met again, and the scripture-smoking man had found Christ. And he is now a full-time evangelist, and he was a guest speaker at this conference. And so he told the conference, I smoked my way through Matthew, and then I smoked, and then I smoked Mark, and I smoked Luke, and when I got to John 3.16, I had to stop smoking. It, it hit me between the eyes and it changed my life. There's a Gideon story for you, Larry. <laughs> so, that word brings joy. So what areas of your life need joy right now? What needs healing and restoration this Christmas season that will restore your Christmas joy? Where are you in your relationship with God, experiencing that joy, which is one of the fruit of the Spirit. Well, number four, if joy is when Jesus is king, when he reigns, when he is restoring us and the world and creation, number four verse of joy to the world, stanza four says, he rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love, and wonders of his love, and wonders, wonders of his love. So this last stanza teaches us that Jesus rules, and that's when joy comes. Joy comes when Jesus rules. See, truth that Isaac Watts talked about, it needs to be seasoned with grace. And grace needs truth as a foundation. One person said, truth without grace is legalism, and grace without truth is sentiment. But truth with grace is Jesus. John 1.14, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So the same Savior who came as a babe in Bethlehem will one day return as the King of kings and Lord of lords at his second coming. And really, all of history is leading up to this grand finale when Jesus comes again. And he restores all things, he heals all things, and he will reign. And then Isaac Watts says he will also rule over all of the earth, over every person, over all of nature, that ruling will come. He will judge mankind with truth and grace. So do you anticipate the second coming of Jesus at I can't wait for the joy of his kingdom. Or are you kind of like in the parable, a little bit nervous that you're not ready? Are you ready for the second coming if it came pretty soon? Would you be ready? Or do you look with dread? I'm not ready for the wedding banquet of the lamb. 
So how do you look at the second coming? I got some time. I can do what I want. There'll be enough signs and I can change. Get right before Jesus really comes. But it may not be that way for you. You might find your heart has been hardened in that time. So how do you anticipate the second coming of Jesus? Here's five joy busters. And these are on the, be on your screen. They're not in your notes if you want to jot them down. Here are five joy busters. Not just for this season, but all year long. Busyness. Life is filled with so many events that we can't slow down enough to enjoy them. Do you ever feel like that? Life is just too busy to really enjoy everything. A critical spirit. We're so frequently irritated by the things and the people around us that we just criticize rather than giving grace or just trusting God and saying, okay, God, this is hard. I don't understand it. Why does this keep happening? It doesn't seem other people encounter this, but I want to trust that you're doing a work in me instead of just having a critical spirit. Woundedness, number three. We cling to a hurt, some event in the past. It may go all the way back to childhood. And you got this pain that just kind of defines and drives your life because you say, I'm a victim, I'm wounded, I can't ever get over it. And so you hold a grudge. You don't trust because you're wounded. And that's a joy killer. Entitlement. An attitude that we deserve it and we want what's ours. Now we might think, yep, that's, that's the millennials. No, all you millennials out there, we're talking to you. But you know what? The rest of us, we have a lot of entitlement because I've heard it and I feel it in my own heart. We all, like, I deserve this. I have worked so hard. God, I have put in my time at church, then you should bless me. And if he doesn't bless you, then it's like, what kind of God is this? And I've heard it from people in my age group, older than my age group, younger than my age group, because we all have this struggle with entitlement. I deserve it. I should get what's coming to me because I've worked hard. I want what's mine. If I don't look out for me, then who will? And then fifth joy buster is tiredness. We don't get enough sleep and our sleep is not restful. I heard uh, on the radio on the Christian radio station, they said that, you know, like 200, well, before the invention of the light bulb, before we could light our houses, guess how many hours of sleep Americans average per night? 10. You guys heard the same thing. What do they, now that we've invented a light bulb and gotten real busy, how many hours of sleep are we averaging? Yeah, six, six and a half. But back in those days, then amazing people were pretty healthy back then, a lot less stressed. I read one study that mental health is worse in America today than it was in colonial times. How did we ever, you know, not listen to Sigmund Freud or all these other things? You know, it didn't fix everything, did it? They, without Sigmund Freud and all of the psychology that we have today, and I'm not knocking psychology, just saying they were healthier and happier because they had more sleep, they had more rest, they had more a simple life that wasn't so crowded with busyness. So how do we reclaim joy? That's the challenge of today. If you're struggling with joy, because Jesus wants to come, he wants to reign in your heart, he wants to rule every area of your life, and he wants to restore. Let's pray, and then the worship team is going to come up, and we're going to sing 
the last three verses of Joy to the World. Lord God, help us. Again, we come to you as beggars saying, Lord, we need you so much to have joy. We live life on our own, even ways we don't know that we do it or don't intend to do it. And the next thing we know, we've been spending our whole day frustrated trying to run things and control things on our own. Help us, Lord, to find that joy because we found you ruling and reigning in every area of our life, restoring the woundedness, restoring the hurts, taking away the critical spirit, telling us what activities we should do and what ones we shouldn't let go so we aren't so busy and we aren't so tired. So show us, Lord, how to have joy in our world and so people can look at our face and say, you know, what cream are you putting on your face? It's Jesus Christ in my heart. And so, Lord, help us to have that joy, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.